This is the podcast from Connection Community Church for Sunday, April 3rd, 2011. The Land Between Discipline. Amen. No pain, no gain, eh? Yeah. So today we're talking about discipline as we continue our series, The Land Between. Good morning, Connection Church. I'm Alan Jones, and uh, I'm a sinner who's been saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Carrie sends her best, and oh, she wished she could be here this morning. It was all she could do not to come in, but she still has another week or so to recover from some surgery. So please keep her, continue to keep her in your prayers. In fact, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Holy God, thank you uh, for the day. Thank you for this glorious day you've placed before us. I pray for Carrie's continued healing, as well as others in the congregation who are in need of your healing as well. Thank you for calling us, bringing us together to worship and praise you. And thank you for this time that we'll share in your word. I pray that you will use this to uh, bring transformation and that uh, we will uh, realize new life in Christ. It's in his name and in your Holy Spirit. We pray in all connection. Church said, Amen. amen, amen. So this is week four of a series we've called The Land Between. The place, land between is the place we find ourselves when we've left where we were, and yet we're not yet where we're going to be. Uh, the place where life is not where it, what it once was, and where the future is still <clears throat> uncertain. The land between. It's often a desert place, like it was for the Hebrew people. Not always, but often. But we can't let that fool us. Because even though it may be a desert, it's still a very, very fertile place. Fertile for complaint. <laughs> fertile for us to have emotional meltdown. Fertile for God to give provision to us, to provide. And as we'll see today, it's also a very fertile place for discipline. Discipline's kind of an interesting word. It comes from the Latin root, the old Latin, dis- disciplus, which means pupil. Later Latin, the word dis- disciplina, which means teaching or learning. So it comes from this pupil or teaching or learning root. Even though we often, uh, if you look up discipline, you're going to find um, uh, punishment having to deal with discipline often. If you go to its root, it deals with learning and education. If you, another word we often use in the church is disciple. comes from the same root. And so a disciple then would be one who learns or who is a student. Uh, the disciples of Christ were students of his. They were learning to try to be more Christ-like. They were followers, and they were in, in learning mode as they followed Christ. Mm-hmm. And so um, the land between is a fertile place, as we said, for discipline. Actually, at times, it's a, it's a lack of discipline that puts some of us in the land between. You know, per, perhaps we lacked discipline in our spending habits, and we kind of maybe bought more than we should, and we're in a place between because uh, of some economic challenges. Perhaps we lacked discipline and made some unhealthy choices, and, and maybe our health has put us in the land between, or, or maybe we've lacked discipline and we've compromised our morals or our ethics, and as a result, we're in the land between. There can a lot of be a things, a lot of things can put us there, but uh, it's not unusual for us to, to, to make choices that put us in the land between ourselves because of a lack of self-discipline. God often uses the land between as a place to discipline us, a place where we learn often from our mistakes, hopefully, a place where we might even be punished. You know, God does that. God does punish 
especially if that punishment will, uh, will help us to learn what God has for us to learn. Discipline's important in the land between because without it, we're greatly challenged. We're greatly challenged any place without discipline, especially in that land between. Because without discipline in the land between, if it's actually desert, we might even perish. <laughs> we might even perish. Discipline is crucial when it comes to surviving that land between emotional survival, spiritual survival, psychological survival. It's also important for us to realize the hopes and dreams of, that the hopes and dreams God had for us most likely are not going to be realized without discipline. Without discipline. And it takes discipline for us to become the person God intended for us to be when God first thought of us. Discipline. Last week, we left the Hebrew people with so much quail that as they ate it, it was coming out their noses. And we kind of laugh at that. But it was really, um, uh, they weren't laughing because uh, God also brought a plague on the people. He was so fed up with them, and, and he just had a, and those who had kept complaining and wanted to go back, he brought a plague, and many died. You go, whoa, whoa. I, I didn't think that was in the picture. I thought they just wanted more quail, yeah. But sometimes God uh, punishes us harshly. And, and actually, that punishment, I don't think, was just for the people there, but I think it was kind of a, a, a heads up for what was going to come. Because if complaining and, and lack of faith was a challenge up to that point, what was just ahead on the horizon for the Hebrew people took a lot of trust in God. And so I think he was kind of doing a wake-up call to everybody by saying, hey, you guys better listen. You better pay attention. Trusting in me is really crucial for what's about to happen. See, what happens two chapters later in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, we find Moses and the Hebrew people, they're camped out at a place called Kadesh, in the desert of Paran, P-A-R-A-N. God tells Moses to send out a squad of 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes, kind of a a scouting party, kind of to spy it out. They're going to cross the river, and they're going to actually go into the promised land. I mean, we're only two years in here, but they're going to actually go to the promised land, and their job is to check it out. As Moses tells them, come back, tell us what the land is like whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land good or is the land bad? The types of towns, are they walled or fortified? The soil, the, the soil is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees or are no trees? In fact, bring back some of the fruit so we can really see just what this land produces. That's pretty smart, don't you think? Let's get a heads up on what we're stepping into. Well, they do just that, and, and, and as Moses tells them, and then they return, and this is what Scripture tells us. It tells us this, it says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Yeah. Here is its fruit. They brought back the fruit. Things are so good, good so far. And then there's that all-important word. What's the next word? But. <laughs> yeah, there's always the but. But. The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Whoa. The Amalekites live in the Negev. <coughs> the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. That's the river they crossed over to get in and out. Wow. Land flows of milk and honey. You know, have anybody ever seen a milk river here? Or a honey river? Sounds crazy, because that's not really what flowing milk and honey means, does it? 
Flow milk and honey is a metaphor. If the, if the animals are, are healthy and producing, they have offspring. And when you have offspring, you have milk. Lots of milk means lots of healthy, producing. Kind of like Connection Church here, isn't it? Like just a lot of reproduction going on there. <laughs> then, the vegetation. If vegetation is good, bees are pollinating and things are working, and the bees produce a lot of honey. So if it's flowing with milk and honey, it means the flora and the fauna are flourishing. <clears throat> Amen? Amen. So things are flourishing, and then there's the but. But. Always a but. Always a but. But the people who live there are big, and the cities are fortified. So those in the scouting party are scared, and they let it show. All except one of my favorite characters in Scripture, Caleb. You gotta love this guy. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. See, Caleb's the same guy when they finally got there and divvied up the land years and years later. He says, I'm gonna take the hill country. He was 85 at the time. This guy's tough, man. He's ready. But he's uh, kind of a loner here. He's on his own, he's a minority. The rest felt differently, as scripture tells us. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they, spread among the Israel, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those, listen to that, devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. These must be huge giant guys, NBA guys or something. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, how do they know how they look to them? But that's, man, they have built this thing up, haven't they? So the majority of those in the scouting party allow their fears to overtake them. Even though they've seen God in action, even though God has delivered them again and again and again, even though God has shown them miracle after miracle after miracle from the time they were in Egypt till now, their faith in God at this point is virtually non-existent. And you know, complaining about manna, meat and manna was one thing, but they are absolutely, totally afraid to take the land God has promised. We have an absolute and complete crisis of faith here. Absolutely. And then it spreads beyond just the scouting party, as Scripture tells us this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the members of the community. That's hundreds of thousands of people. This is a huge community. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Aren't you tired of hearing go back to Egypt? I am. Oh, my goodness. Give it up. And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Boy, they're getting intense now, aren't they? They're going to choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Whole community. Complaining not just about manna and meat, but about the God-chosen leadership of Moses and his brother Aaron. Whole community distrusting God at this point. Whole community looking at their enslaved past in Egypt rather than ahead 
to the promised future God has for them in Canaan. And that Egypt looking so good in that rearview mirror. And we think, golly day, guys, get a, but don't we do the same thing? How often do we look back at that point and we say, oh, it was so good back then. It wasn't that good. That rearview mirror is hazy. Wipe it clear, you know. It, it always looks back, it looks, when you look back, you forget the challenges. You forget just to, there's good for that. That's why we can have the second child, right? Because <laughs> if we didn't have those kind of memories, not that the church child was bad, but childbirth is so painful, amen? amen. So, you know, when we look back, oh, it wasn't so bad. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was brutal. But, we, but then we look back, and the farther back we look, oh, the better and better it gets. Oh, aren't you sick of this Egypt thing? People not only have turned their back on Moses, though, they've turned their backs on God. That's not a good thing. In the next verses, we see Caleb and also Joshua's on board now. So it's Caleb and Joshua. They're the only ones still trusting in God. Here's what they say. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with there you go. And he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. See that? They're saying we'll devour them, not the land's going to devour us. They've got this thing right. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. These guys have it right, but the trouble is there's only two of them. They trust God. They know God's arm, as we said a couple weeks ago, is not too short. God's arm is just long enough to give them whatever they need to handle the situation that God has placed before them in the land that God has promised. But the people don't listen to Caleb and Joshua, do they? No. They talk about stoning them instead. And as a result, the Lord actually is ready to just wipe out the whole crowd. Don't you love God? He just says, I've had enough. <laughs> and, and, and Moses then starts bargaining with God, suggesting that God not destroy the people, that the other nations who are familiar with what's going on, if God doesn't bring them into the promised land, they're going to say, huh, what, what's so great about your God? He can't even deliver his own people into the promised land. And so, and so God, Moses asks God to forgive the people, and God does forgive the people. But, <laughs> another but, but even though he forgives them and says he will not destroy them, the Lord will not allow those who disobeyed and tested the Lord to enter into the promised land. There's always a consequence for our actions, isn't there? Even if we're forgiven, even if we're not destroyed, there's a consequence to be paid for our actions. No one who treated God with contempt will ever see the land God promised their forefathers. That's what we're told in Scripture. Wow. That's their discipline, isn't it? That's a tough discipline. Their discipline is to wander the desert for how many years? Forty years. They're this close. They, it's across the river. Some of their guys have already been there. Two years, they could have had it two years in. They wussied out, and so as a result, they wander for 40. Wow. 
They wander for 40 until that generation dies off. Those who weren't willing to trust God and to step forth. And so the next generation then, who's been going to be trained in the desert to trust the Lord, and they can enter the promised land. You know, once again, the people have looked back to a past that no longer is. And that's a lesson for us. How many times do we look back to that past that's dead and gone and no longer, and we keep longingly looking back as though somehow it's going to come back? And it ain't. It's gone. It's gone. And we keep looking back rather than trusting in God to bring the future that God's promised. That's what they did, and that's so often what we do. And so they get to wander for 40 years in the desert, in the land between. And God kind of shores them up. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them a lot of rules and regs. Hoping they'll learn to follow God. Teaching them the harsh lessons that we learn in that wilderness, in the desert, in the land between. Learning discipline the hard way. That next generation learning to trust God. Because they have to. They don't have any other choice. Learning not to look back at what was and is no more. Learning what they will need to know when they cross the river into the land that God has promised. The land he's preparing them for at this point. Mm. This is God's discipline. It's a punishment, but more than that, it is learning and preparation. The people were not ready for the challenges that lay ahead of them on the other side of the river. They were not ready to trust God like they were going to have to trust him. And so they weren't ready to enter that land that he had promised them. They needed more time in the desert. They needed more time in that land between. They needed more time to be disciplined. Discipline's tough, isn't it? Tough but necessary. Uh, I've been disciplined over the years. I know it's hard to believe that I would need it, but... I told my kid, I was lucky to get out of first and second grade. I spent so much time in the hallway. And I still can't understand how Mr. Snyder, the principal, could pull me up by my crew cut. I mean, it was only that long. Because, see, I was so accustomed to sitting in the hall, I'd sit, sit out there. I wouldn't stand. I'd be sitting, lounging in the hall. Remember, he pulls me in. What's he doing out there? And the teacher said he was talking. Well, I wasn't talking. I was whispering. I was smart enough not to say that, though. So he drags me back out. He said, don't sit down. See, that was the discipline. I was still going to do my time, but I wasn't going to do it lounging. I was going to pay the price, right? Yeah, discipline's important. I've got to tell you about, when I was with Prudential, I was on an appointment once with one of my agents over in Georgetown. Family, husband, wife, two kids. One kid was like four, one kid was like nine. Husband and I owned a gas station there in Georgetown. The wife, I think, had a daycare. It's 8.30 at night. The agent and I were trying to conduct some semblance of a professional interview. They had some insurance with us, trying to review it. And this kid, one kid, the four-year-old child, is like, whew. I mean, he's got this, like, uh, cassette player going. It's very distracting. Father tells him to go back in the bedroom with it. Well, the father may have well been talking to the wall because the kid basically ignored him and just did what he wanted. And the next thing I know, the kid's up on the kitchen counter throwing down handfuls of M&Ms. I was jealous because I wanted the M&M's, but also, I'm just thinking, 8.30 at night, chocolate, four-year-old, something about it just didn't ring like a good idea, you know? And he's like standing on the counter, and the parents are standing there watching him. And, and he's a business owner, and she's a daycare provider, and I'm thinking, this household is run by a four-year-old. 
This is absolutely incredible. And I'm thinking the nine-year-old, it's really going to be interesting in a few years because he's not getting any attention at all. So he's going to probably start some negative behavior in the years to come so that he gets a little mom and dad's attention also. And I'm just getting there thinking, how can these grown-ups, fully grown people, allow a four-year-old and to run the house? And the problem is there was absolutely no, what's our word today? Discipline was there. And you get to thinking, is that how God sometimes feels with us? Are we on the kitchen counter throwing down handfuls of M&Ms, metaphorically speaking? Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's how God feels. Maybe that's how he was feeling then. The difference was, God's going to discipline us, thank the Lord, unlike these two parents who were letting a four-year-old run the house. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> you ever been disciplined? I hope so. You have the discipline right now to sit there and kind of listen. That's, that's some discipline. That, that, I, I'm, I'm glad that you've been disciplined. Because it's an absolutely necessary part of growing up. I feel sorry for that four-year-old. Because he's going to be a pay a price for his parents not disciplining at some point, isn't he? And he'll pay the price when he gets to a certain age for something that should have been taken care of by somebody in a position to take care of it. See, it's absolutely necessary part of, of growing up, of maturing, of becoming the person God intends you to be. Our job as parents is to help raise children who don't need us in that role anymore of the disciplinarian, right? That's part of our job. And why? Because that's how God planned it. You ever been disciplined by God? There's a good question for you. Chances are, maybe you uh, have, and maybe you didn't even realize it, because sometimes God's discipline's kind of quiet. It's in a way we might not even realize it's there. Maybe you messed up. And maybe you prayed and asked for forgiveness, just like Moses. And maybe you were forgiven. And yet there's still consequences for your actions. Amen? Amen. God doesn't do the magic wand thing usually. Well, God, please take away the consequences. Oh, yes, he's going to wave his magic wand on you. That doesn't teach you a thing, does it? All other than, oh, I can mess up again. Now, that's important to learn. And God lets us learn that the hard way, doesn't he? We face the music for our actions. I know I have. In order to learn, in order to grow, in order for us to mature hopefully. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes it's really painful, isn't it? And we think, oh, God, God wouldn't allow pain. I, I'm not sure I'm going to hang my hat on that one. Because let me give you an idea. Let's say you're going to have some short-term pain, and as a result of that pain, you're going to realize eternal salvation. Do you think God may allow some short-term pain? Now, what's short-term? I don't know, a day, two, a year, ten? How about 50 years? That doesn't seem short-term. Have you ever compared 50 years to eternity? It's short-term. Our challenge, though, is that discipline usually involves some kind of pain, doesn't it? As we said. Remember you were a kid and you messed up and you were disciplined? Was there some pain involved? <laughs> no. <laughs> it may not have been physical, although sometimes it maybe was. <laughs> but it may have been emotional, psychological. You know, there may have been embarrassment. You may have been called out in front of us. You know, there might be, sometimes for me, the, the, um, 
the uh, being yelled at was worse than uh, being paddled because that emotion, you know, I didn't like that emotional thing there. But there's some pain usually. And, you know, it still holds true as adults. <laughs> there's pain when we're disciplined, isn't it? Again, maybe not physical, but there's some kind of pain when we're disciplined. Yeah, it hurts. And it's true when God disciplines us. We don't really like it, do we? Because we don't like pain. We don't like things that hurt. Even if it's whatever kind of hurt it might be, emotional, physical, whatever. And even if we realize it's necessary for God to discipline us, it still hurts and we don't like it. Because we don't like pain. And yet, God often uses pain in order to redeem our mess-ups. There's usually some pain involved. God uses pain sometimes to help mold us to be the persons God intends us to be, especially when we're in that land between. And Because when we're in that land, we're usually at our most vulnerable. It's when we're most open to God's discipline, to God's teaching, to what we might call God's redemptive pain. Redemptive pain. Remember the movie clip, No Gain, No Pain, No Gain? (laughs) That's kind of true sometimes, too, with our redemptive pain. (laughs) And God may allow that pain because God always wants us to gain in terms of our relationship with him when it comes to being the men and women God wants us to be. See, because when we're redeemed, there is pain. There's a price, isn't there? There's always a price. In the Old Testament, the price was paid by animals. There was pain, but it was transferred from the person to the animal, and the animal was sacrificed. You remember when they had uh, some days in the temple, it was just like a butcher shop. The blood was just running. But what happened was uh, <laughs> that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> and, 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 and the sin would be revisited all too often in spite of the price. But then God offered a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, his own son, didn't he? And there was pain, wasn't there? There was pain. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross to die. There was incredible pain there. The thing is, he took the pain for us so that we might be redeemed. As he said, I'll exchange it. I'll carry your burden, you carry mine, you carry the cross, I'll carry your pain to the cross. Ultimate sacrifice is one and only Son, Jesus the Christ. He pays the price that you and I can't pay because we can't have enough pain, there's not enough pain there for us to realize full salvation, is there? But Christ could because his pain covers our sin as he took it to the cross for you and me. So today we... We have an opportunity to kind of celebrate uh, a remembrance of what Christ did for us, the Holy Communion. So he was going to, to, to the cross, he knew it, and he was going to share his last meal, the Last Supper, with the uh, disciples. It was the Passover meal, a Jewish ritual that they had all participated in all of their lives. But Jesus gave new meaning to this ritual so that they would have a reminder of the pain that he was going to suffer for them, that redemptive pain that he would do for them just as he does for us. And so we have an opportunity today to also remember that pain. And hopefully in our remembering Christ's pain, 
it will help discipline us in our relationship with Him, with God, through the Holy Spirit. And so Christ, at that Last Supper, He took the bread, as was part of that meal, and, and he, um, he offered thanks to that bre- for that bread to God in heaven. And he, and he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup And again, gave thanks to God the Father. And they offered a cup to his disciples and said, this is the new covenant of my blood. You talk about pain. (laughs) New covenant of my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Christ used these symbols of bread and juice as a reminder of the pain he was going to suffer that you and I might live through eternity. That redemptive pain that he, that he encountered so that we might have eternal salvation. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers.